Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class John Valentine. Welcome to the Veterans Be Real podcast. Here's where we try to keep it real and do our best to help all our fellow veterans out there. This podcast will hopefully open our veterans' eyes into the transition and challenges they are facing and give them some guidance along the way. Please subscribe and download our podcast. We look forward to you, your insight, and your loyalty. Thanks for listening. And now, here's Veterans Be Real. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, Sergeant Be Real from Veterans Be Real Podcast. I have my guest on, Kim Dalsey. So we're going to talk about Kim and her transition from the military into the new civilian sector, so to speak. But Kim will have a surprise for you once we get started, and she'll let you know what's really going on with her. So, Kim, why don't you go ahead and introduce yeah. Sure. I'm Kim Galski, um, five-year active duty Marine, and I now serve in the National Guard. So I've got a, about a 17-year break in between there. So I got a lot of life in between. Yeah, you got a lot of experiences going in between. So that'll be a good <laughs> conversation piece here starting. So yeah. you so you Marine. So let's talk about that. What were the yeah. challenges for you as a young lady? I'm sure when you went in initially, you were probably how old were you? You were probably I was nineteen. There you go. Me too. Mm-hmm. I was nineteen when I went in the army. So so nineteen year old female going into the Marine Corps. So let's go through that experience. What was it like for you, nineteen years old, going into the Marine Corps? Um, well, I knew at 14 that I was going to join the Marine Corps. So that wasn't anything that was new. It wasn't an overnight decision. It was following a recruiter around for about three and a half years until he came to my high school with sign up papers. When I turned 18, my junior year of high school, and he said, all right, I got your papers. And I said, let's sign them. And he goes, holy shit, you weren't kidding. And I said, no, I wasn't. Yeah. So I was in the delayed entry program through my high school senior year. And as soon as I graduated from high school in Michigan, I left for boot camp and really didn't ever go back. So yeah, it was, uh, of course I was motor T and I, and I say, of course, because motor T is like being a grunt. It's kind of the bottom of the barrel in the Marine Corps of, of just getting in. And I really didn't have an understanding for what jobs were even available. I had no idea. I just knew I wanted to be a Marine. So, so I enlisted and went to school and in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which was an armpit. It was awful. (laughs) You know, and that was in 1996 when things were kind of transitioning uh, for the military police side and the, the motor T side to go to Fort Leonard Wood out of, I think they were down in Alabama or something like that before previously. So so yeah, I went to school. It was awful. School was really, really hard for me because I, I knew I wanted to be a Marine for so long. So when I went to boot camp, I graduated number one. I was I graduated in my blues back when you had to earn them. Now you just get them. Yeah. So don't even get me don't get me started with that. Yeah. Well, that's a different conversation for later. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, that's a whole um, other conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So when I went to school, it was. Um, I had the Marine Corps on such a pedestal going in and, and enlisting. And, and so when I got to school, it was a real gut check reality for me that, you know, here I am a one percenter. I'm the uh, less than one percent of the Marine Corps was females at that time. Yeah. And I was literally the only female in the whole platoon when I got there. 
And that was not hard for me. It was harder for them because the professionals didn't know how to act. I was a go-getter. I wanted to be up front. I wanted to lead things. And, and they almost just didn't know how to treat me. So anyway, my school experience was not the best uh, until I got different leadership and got back on track and then ended up out at Camp Pendleton with first Marine division. So, you know, that just posed a whole, a whole nother bag of problems, um, to overcome. Yeah. Because, you know, you're going into a grunt support unit. I was the second female ever to be in the first Marine division truck company. So I had a lot to prove all the time. And, um, not that that was a bad thing for me. I, I grew up having to survive. Uh, I did not have a great childhood. So I had to grow up really fast, which I'm glad I did because it prepared me for being in the Marine Corps, really. And then the Marine Corps took what I was, polished it, and put me to work. Yeah, 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 they did, didn't they? So again, growing into that, I can see because I know I had a lot of the same type of things as far as, you know, Fort Leonard Wood was a, whew, let's not talk about it. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I went back there a few times for no, I don't know why. But anyway. But so I could see, you know, being in an infantry unit as a female, because I know even in the Army, that was a big transition, too, for the Army at a time where females started showing up in those direct support units where they were down in the infantry type land, and they weren't, it wasn't comfortable. Because I know when I was a young private, as a boy, as a male, young private, my NCOs would tell me, stay away from female soldiers, you're going to get you in trouble, and yeah, you know, so just yep. stay away from them. They're like kryptonites, just stay away from them, blah, blah, Roger Sarge, yeah, Roger. But of course you learn, you know, that's just their fears because they're not sure of things, and people have to learn those things, but uh but it was a very interesting life because I came in in 1990. So I was a little bit before you, but mm-hmm. same kind of concept of the ladies that were coming in that were trying to get those type of jobs that weren't the normal female jobs mm-hmm. made it a challenge for them. And a lot of them were hard chargers and they deserved it and they worked hard for it. So I was very proud to know some of them. But yeah. So Marine Corps, you did it. You kind of polished it up. Got yeah. ready. Then it was time yeah. to do something different. So what happened next? <laughs> Yeah, I uh, spent, you know, the four years as Motor T and then wanted to extend my contract just to see where I would go. And uh, for my last year, I ended up being a military police. So I was a court liaison for the entire base of Camp Pendleton. And that's where I picked up Sergeant. And that's really where I, I realized, if I could do this here, I can, I can rule the world. I mean, that's what they teach us, right? Walk into a room, you own that. So I got out and I think I got out because I wanted the freedom, not realizing that there was no freedom. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I EAS in February of 2001 and six months later was 9-11. So coming out, it was a gut check because, you know, right out of the gate, literally, you can't turn around, you can't go back, you don't have any leadership, you don't have a support system. Your family doesn't get you. Your friends certainly don't get you. And you come out at 23, 24, 25 with a whole new set of skills that like, I can shoot you between the eyes at 500 yards. I can change a tire. Like it's the cool thing. I can fix a diesel engine, but nobody ever sat me down and said, what do you really want to do? Oh, you have all these amazing skills. What job do you see yourself doing? That's going to make you happy for the next 20 years. Nobody says that. They ask you, do you want to stay in or get out? Yeah. Well, what would you say? Yeah. <laughs> Usually we say, I want to get out, right? Because there's some kind of freedom in that. That's what we're taught. So, you know, fast forward six years of starting new businesses, moving all over the country. I think I had 11 jobs in six years. I lived in four or five different states from Missouri to North Carolina to Baltimore to Nevada to Washington. And in all of that time, I had a failed marriage. I gave birth to a son and 
found myself completely disabled as far as where my confidence was in the toilet. My ability to, to what I thought I could overcome, had no idea how to do it, ended up homeless with a child, divorced and homeless. And it was such a blessing that that happened. Such a blessing because it taught me to really go inside in that moment, taught me to go inside. There's nobody here to blame but me. God did not do this to me. I did this to myself. I always felt like I was put here for a bigger purpose and really didn't know what that was. So I went into, I just got a lucky break. I'll be honest with you. I have no college degree. I got, I got the degree of hard knocks on my wall back there, right? In a pretty frame. Okay. <laughs> I went back to work and uh, managed an investment company for eight and a half years. And while I was sitting there one day in my beautiful office with all the things in my 401k, and I went, what the hell are you doing? Like, this isn't what you wanted. You're not helping anybody. So I started to develop a nonprofit and I started to develop something and didn't even realize that there was something similar to that growing across the street. And so I went to them for resources. They wanted my network because I'm unafraid of going out and talking to people and asking for things and just pulling on other people's strengths. I don't need to know everything. So I went out and, and I met with them and they said, we've got everything we have here. Will you be our executive director? And of course I said, yes. So you know, for three years, here I am running a nonprofit called Salute the Troops here in Wisconsin. And I didn't know, I didn't know shit. I didn't know anything. I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't even realize that a nonprofit was a corporation until I was running it, literally yeah. running it, trying to figure out what in the Sam hell am I doing? I have no idea. And I felt like such an imposter, like just because I had this idea and this vision and you know, I felt like such a phony because I had no degree to back it up because that's beat into your head, right? You can't be successful unless you have a degree. And that's so wrong. It is. There's so many of us that, that have the qualifications and the qualifications doesn't come from some professor that gave me a degree. Of course, that depends on let's yeah, not get anybody's feelings hurt. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, you know, I can be a, I can run a nonprofit, yep. or I can run a business. Or right. So that whole, that whole journey of going to the Marine Corps, getting out, being homeless, getting back on my feet, developing a nonprofit, people will look at me and go, well, how do you know? How do you know what it's like to transition out of anything? You know, because they're just seeing this. They're, they're seeing the girl that you saw on Facebook, right? They're seeing this perfect person that has their shit together. When in reality, Oh my God, like five, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have, you would not have reached out to me. You would not want to have had a conversation with me because honestly, I would have had nothing to bring to the table. I, I was a homeless, broken person, but inside I had all of the tools I needed. I just needed to believe in me. I needed somebody else to believe in me and see me for who I was before I give myself permission to go and be a rock star and to help other people be that way, to make other people famous. And so through all of that, I became Mrs. Wisconsin. And the only reason I went out for that pageant system, which I'm not a pageant girl, by the way, at all, I had to learn how to walk in high heels. I mean, I mean, really high heels. <laughs> steppers, yes. Yeah, like, like on the moon high heels. And um, it was all because I was serving you. I was serving, you know, Joe Smith down the road who just got out of the Marine Corps, who was absolutely lost and has post-traumatic stress and TBI and his family's falling apart and his kids hate him and he doesn't get a job. And all of those things, all those fundamental needs that we have, we can't get and we don't know how to do it. So you know what the next thing we do? We pull out what's familiar. 
we start fantasizing about just ending it because what's the what's the effing point, right? We've, we've all sat in that space. Every single one of us has sat in that space. So I stood on stage to talk about you. I stood on stage to tell my story, third party. And then at the end of that, I let you know that, oh, by the way, I know that girl. That girl is me. And not a word. The first time I ever had a standing ovation. And then I thought, I have, there's power in this. There's power to get people to move. And I refuse to have somebody tell me that it wasn't worth it. That why should I give to you when there's wounded warrior out there or whatever, whatever that may be. Wounded warrior has corrected their path. So good job for them. But they went awry for a long time. Salute the troops. Salute the troops will never be national. However, I would love to be able to come and teach people how to do this. I would love to get a board of 20 people together and come in and give you the playbook. This is how you do it. Your story is the most important story. Nobody can tell mine. And the president that I had at the time was a combat vet in the army. He was with First Airborne, TBI, blown up five times, Purple Heart recipient. An absolute amazing, most amazing person I've ever met in my life. And tried to take his own life under my watch as his director. And if I wouldn't have been persistent in calling him and reaching out to him and how are you doing and knowing patterns were off, I would have lost him. But I tell you what, he went through about a six month period where he hated my guts and anything I stood for. And it, it hurt so bad that I actually pursued wanting to know more about how to talk about suicide, how to ask somebody if you're going to kill yourself. You know, we've got to be braver as a society, as a, as a band of brothers and sisters to be able to ask that question of the people that we think we're closest to. So, you know, from one little thing, all of these other things start happening and the conversations start happening. And then you start building businesses because you realize your power. And if your power is there to serve other people, if you let other people come before you, you can change the entire world. And I, I'm excited, Kim. I mean, just to know, I mean, me and I'm not going to say we followed a lot of the same path. We went down a lot of the same roads. We were on travel and maybe experience. I run, I run a nonprofit myself and understand that the diligence that it takes to kind of be there every day and understand that stuff. And for you to be able to take the steps you took to get there and then you have a young man like that that's involved in you made that extra mile. Because I, I talk about PTSD a lot because I suffer from it. I was deployed six times. I've been all kind of, and I was a medic and so all the nasty stuff. So the thing I tell veterans and I tell soldiers is okay to talk about suicide. It's just not okay to take action. We, you need to talk about it because it is a release. Right. It is a way for you to think you're going to get out of whatever pain and suffering you're going through because you feel you want to feel that release. You want to feel it go away. So the immediate answer is you can do something about it. But if you're afraid to talk about it, then you're then you're gonna you're gonna hold it in, and then when you hold things in, everything implodes, and then you're not gonna have the right. right. You're not gonna make the right decision. So right. I'm with you. I mean, I'm a big component about talk. I talk to soldiers all the time. They call me all the time, and that's what we do. But you know, you are the quintessential person who I'm looking for for this for these podcasts because exactly what I'm for you've gone through it. You shine. The military taught you to be that person that overcomes and take over the room and leave. And that's why you don't need a degree and you don't need those things because you're confident. And you're you educate yourself when you need to educate yourself about something. You read about it, you figure it out. That's what we do. You figure it out as a leader. You made it a sergeant. And once you become an NCO and you start doing that stuff. You realize other people's lives and other people's, you're responsible. So the civilian sector doesn't see it that way. You know, you get out at five o'clock, hey, I don't want to see you tomorrow, so it's time to go back to work. You know, I don't even call (laughs) them. 
Because yeah. uh, I went through that too. Yeah. I mean, I got out, I had little meaningless jobs in the beginning until I found a job that paid better and better. But then I got that job. I was like, what am I doing in here? Because this is, yep. this is, because I don't like it. Time. I mean, I'm just, yep. yeah, I'm making good money and my wife's happy because I got the money I'm bringing up. But I'm not happy because this is not what I want right. to do. This is, this right. isn't me. So I'm a lot like you in that sense that, you know, life is about doing what, like, I'm a big guy about pay it forward. And I'm sure you feel the same way. It's about, because I, I mean, I'm going to go back to your whole thing. When you get out in February 2001, and then six months later, 9-11 happens, and you as a Marine, and you as a sergeant, and you, I can't imagine the gut-wrenching feeling you had, like you felt like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you gave up on your, your Marines, you did whatever, what you might have went through that might have put you in a deeper depression, because I know I was in at the time, and I was, I was an NCO and doing all stuff, but I mean, I, I never thought about it then, but now I think about it a lot. Young lady like you, or a young man who gets out, 2001, middle of 2001, and all of a sudden, bam, the earth just changes for everybody here in the United States. And then how are those guys feeling who just got out? Yeah, they probably hated an NCO at a time or whatever, just wanted, but now they're like, my buddies are back there and they're by, I'm without, yep. they're not, well, I'm not there with them. So that's, you know, the reason I tell about veterans and suicide because look what happened right there from 2001 to probably 2006. The suicide rate for veterans was very high. It wasn't very visible to everybody, but it was right. very high during that time because guys who separated, gals who separated, all of a sudden felt that, that connection that they had that was torn because they got out, they can't get it back. Like you said, you can't just go back in. You can go try to go back in, but the likelihood is they're not going to let you go back in because of the reason you got out or whatever. So you're not going to get back in. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a hard thing for all of us as veterans to deal with that, that choice that we make. I mean, I did 20 years. I mean, I just, I, I stuck it out. And then my wife made me get out. She's like, that's it. You're done. I said, yes, my <laughs> I know where my bread is, buddy. So I was like, all right, I got you. So I got out. But Jobs, jobs, and then I'm like, I want to act. Now I run a nonprofit, help soldiers and veterans, and that's what I wanted. And then I have the podcast because I want to help veterans understand that we can overcome it. There's people out there like you, people out there like me, and other people that want to help them if they just ask or if they can find us. Mm-hmm. And a good way of doing this is uh, that's why I started the podcast so I can get people like you on here, get the word out about what you're doing, where you're at. Because this might be a veteran in Wisconsin now that might like, should I need to look her up and see if she can help me? You never know. So, well, and that's it. And I think really what it came down to, and and this was a stark realization for me, is that you just assume that civilians, civilians understand what we're saying. And so when I became the director and I was out asking to be a keynote speaker for things all over the state, I never in a million years realized that I would be educating all the time. And they would, I would purposely get into uniform because I was the commandant for the Marine Corps League at the time. I'd purposely get in my Marine Corps League uniform and show up and tell a story, not my story, but a story of of a young man out of high school, innocent, go to boot camp, learn how to kill people, learn how to protect people, learn that it's not about you, it's about them. They take the I out of you, it becomes we, right? You go to combat, you see things and you're fearful of like the biggest fear you could ever possibly imagine. There's nobody to help you. And then you come back and they dump you back into what you came out of. They're really good at teaching us how to go to the fight, get yourself out of the way, figure it out. I'm going to drop you in this hot zone. Now you got to figure out how to get around it, how to survive it, how to get them to survive it. Right. Then you come back to civilian world where it's the complete opposite. Everybody's thinking of themselves. Nobody wants to help you. And as a veteran, when we walk into the room, we walk in assessing everything. We are aware of everything. We see and feel and hear everything. 
So when a civilian comes to us, they're immediately like, oh, what do you think you are? Oh, who do you think you are? Well, you're so freaking arrogant. No, I'm not. But I already got you figured out, right? So every time I went in front of a crowd, I brought that piece that we show up with a certain set of skills. Stop casting us off. Start putting us in leadership positions because that's what we're designed for, for a reason. Because if I die, I want 17-year-old Joey Smith over here to be able to step right in and go, guess what, team? This is what we're going to do. That's why we're so powerful. And when we come together like this on a platform together, we become unstoppable. And it's scary to people because we are here for each other. And the part you talked about, about giving back, of every veteran that's ever come into my space that has started a new company that's gone off. I have guys that have coffee companies, t-shirt companies, you name it, companies, podcasts, just like you. What do they all want to do? They all want to help. Yeah, you can help they all want to help, period. It doesn't matter. I have guys that come in here that are, you know, they they make all this money and they they have just enough to make their bills and to to buy a toy if they want it and, and support their family. But everything else goes towards helping veterans. Like I don't want it, give it to them. They they need it. And that that is the same across the board. So last year I started to figure out how do I help more? How do I, how do I become more educated? I enlisted in the National Guard, Army National Guard. It was the hardest decision I ever made in about one second, because I thought I can't put on a army uniform. I like, I can't do it. <laughs> Stupid as that, right? That's Marine, right? right? Hey. Whatever. So I called up my, my best friend, veteran advocate right here in the state. His name's Mark Preventure. He's amazing. 20, you know, 20 years in the Marine Corps. And I said, Hey Mark, I'm thinking about joining the guard. He's like, I said, I'm really having a hard time with, should I put that uniform on? And he goes, Kim, we're all wearing green. It really doesn't matter. I was like, shit. Yeah. Yeah, man. And now I'm a religious affair specialist. I'm a chaplain's assistant. So I get to help in a whole nother way. And it was really hard for me to make the transition from a Marine who was a leader, the tip of the spear, the loudest one in the room, the bitch, not the whore. And you know what I'm talking about? I took care of my Marines. I took care of them to transition to a position where I'm at the back of the crowd. I'm the networker. I'm the listener. I'm the Intel. It was really, it was really hard. That's exactly it. It was really hard for me in the beginning, but now it's been a year. I love it. And I have a, you probably excel at it now because once you learn that, you learn how important it is. Okay. Let's just talk about 17 years off (laughs) being a mom, like just life experience in between the arrogant competent 24 year old to the 42 year old that has some life experience and understands that it's, it's more than just going to work and dealing with the staff that you don't like. It's so much bigger than that. You know, we're all going to have those people that we don't like. <laughs> and, that, and that's it too, because like talk, and backing up to where you spoke about the military for both of us, it was, you know, I wouldn't change anything about my career. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't go back and change it because it taught me so much throughout my life and who I became. But the one shortcoming, and I, and I talk, never talk bad about the military or the army. I was in the army, but I never talk bad about it. But the one thing I where I think the army or the military fails all of us is they don't put enough effort into making sure we're really prepared right. to reintegrate. To transition. They don't put enough uh-huh. effort into it. I don't think they, they flood enough 
they throw you through ACAP and they throw you through all this. But I mean, we're all in the military. It's all about checking blocks so we can get that complete and get it done. No one's really done. In those briefings. No one's really paying attention to that stuff. It's like, but just yeah. sign my paperwork so I can go to the thing and say that I did it because I'm trying to get out of it. And that's part on us. And I, and I take some responsibility for that. And I think most soldiers and veterans do once they've been out for a little while. But I will say this. They can make a better effort. And that's one of the things I'm advocating for right now with some of, my, the, some of the politicians that live down here by me in Fort Hood is that we need to do something. At Fort Hood, they have almost 200 soldiers every month either ETS and or retiring. I said, that's a lot of people we're putting back into the civilian force out here that aren't really going to be ready. Yes. Maybe about 10% of them already have jobs lined up and all that stuff. The rest of them are going to be out there trying to do resumes and whatever, but we're really not, even our resumes. When I did my resume, they didn't really prepare my resume the way it needed to be written for a civilian to look at it. They didn't. I have a story about that too. Things that I was doing right. They were, Oh, the leader of a 10,000 soldier brigade. So they don't give a shit about 10,000. So what did he do in that job? What did he do in that? How did he manage? So, I think the military owes us that. That's because I'm one of those kind of veterans. I don't think anybody owes me anything except their gratitude for being a veteran. They don't owe me a discount. They don't owe me a free. Look, be great. I'm grateful that I serve, and you're grateful that I serve for you. So you can have. That's great. That's all I need. I'm not one of those guys that think I'm owed anything. I'm not right. one of those kind of veterans. But what I do think the military and the government owes us is a better preparation for separation. I don't think they've ever put enough con- concentration on. Preparing us to become good civilians when we get out and be ready for mm-hmm. that life stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I can definitely relate to the transitional part because I know I got I got a job paying me 15, 16 bucks an hour when I got out, but it wasn't and then I got another job and got another eh, you well, know. So, okay. So so that's the biggest piece, right? You you so you're making X amount of dollars. So let's just say you're making eighty thousand dollars. Okay. You're in active duty, right? You're getting all your housing paid for, you're getting a little bit of extra depending on where you live, right? You're getting your insurance, your dental. Like all of that is covered. So really, how much is that? Eighty to $100,000, depending on where you're at, how long you've been in, what your rank structure is. I don't know. Then you get out and you get a $15 an hour job and we're supposed to be happy about it. You can't even live on it. So you teach us to do this for 20 years. And then you're like, hey, deuces, we'll see you. Good luck. Thanks for your service. Yeah, and like, here's, it's that false sense of security because in the military, yes. I know I'm going to get paid every two weeks. It might not be a lot, but yep. I'm going to get paid. You get out, that's right. I might get laid off because whatever happens, you got no up, security. It's so yeah. you're so insecure when you get out. You just you, you, yep. then your anxiety goes up and your depression kicks in, and you have PTSD or any other any other conditions. They amplify. That's right. And then you become a burden to society because now you're pulling the people different ways. Or so yeah, it's it's. I think the military owes us a little bit more on the way out. And that's one of my biggest things. That's why I'm focusing this podcast really about transition. So they hear your story. They hear my story. They hear all the other vets that I'm going to have on here talking about the challenges they went through and the things they went through so that we can better. Because if nothing else, if they hear us, they're going to at least hear that there's somebody out there that went through something like them. How do they get through it? Because they're, they're going to be able to read. They're going to be able to reach out to me. So if somebody wants to talk to you, they're going to be able to reach out to me on the website. Or, hey, and I'll put them in touch with you. And you'll say, hey, Kim here, this person really want to talk to you about a podcast with you. Yeah, because that's the type of person I want or somebody who's willing to help these veterans, help these figure this out because they need to know there's resources out there that are still there. And then we're all still that brother and sisterhood that we're still trying to take care of each other and not, yeah. you know, let anybody fall to the wayside and leave no one behind, so to speak, in that attitude because it's just not how it's right. And in yeah. civilian sector, like you said, they'll leave your ass behind in a heartbeat. I mean, they'll just cut sling load on you. Like, cut sling load, you're gone, chief. We'll, yep. we'll hire somebody else. You know, they, that's right. You know, it's not like that in the military. You get in trouble, you might get extra duty, whatever, but. You're still going to be in the unit. You're still going to come back to work. We're hey, going to retrain but you, you still 
Right. It yeah. still feels like somebody's there for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And you might be mad at them, but you know they right. care because they didn't just out or they're working right. you or making you extra duty or whatever. But That's right. they're, they're there making you stronger, right? Sleeping. But the point is, us as veterans, I think we owe it to each other to be there for each other. And I think if we stay that way, I might not be able to give a lot of people money or whatever based on what, but the point is. There's resources out there that a lot of us, like you and me, know about resources that can help veterans. I know I know. A veteran calls me right now and he's starting to pay a rent. I can get him in touch with like five people that might be able to help him get his rent paid. Yeah. But he's not going to know that unless he reaches out. So right. and that's why I'm trying to design this podcast where every veteran I have on here is going to be able to talk about what it was like to be in the military, what it was like for them to transition out, what it's like for them now, and where their business is, and how they became successful, or they, they're still struggling, and they're still pushing it, but they're still pushing the grindstone, they're still doing it. Right. So that's where we're headed with this podcast, and I think the people that are listening are going to understand that there's value to this, because mm-hmm. they're going to hear you or me or somebody, one of us talking, and they're going to go, that's going to, and they're going to, they're going to get it, and it might just be that one thing they need to hear, so excited about where we're headed with this and I'm excited to meet you and I think that it's going to be a good value that, that uh, we start building I start building a little network of people that I can reach out to and we can talk yeah so, for sure alright yeah. so moving to the next thing I'll say so if you were going to give any soldier marine or sailor or post guardsman or air force guy airman I guess they call them <laughs> they're getting ready to get out what would be your first thing to tell them what would be your, first, your biggest advice to them on their last day in the military Oof, wow that's a big one no. I would absolutely make sure that in going back to wherever they're from, because they're usually on you know one coast or another or somewhere in between, they're all going back somewhere, is they need to make sure that when they go back, that they're locking into the things that are important. They must go to the VA and register. They must do that. That is non-freaking negotiable. It has nothing to do with who can find you whatever. If the government wants you back, they're going to find you anyway. So stop it. Right. Because it's, you don't have to be broken to go to the VA. It is our God given right as veterans to be a part of the VA system. If you should come up with something in 20 years that you are hurting for, that you have a disease, that you have this, that, and the other, whatever it, it may be, you know what? The VA is going to be there to help you. And you never know. In that amount of time, they might be able to figure out, just like Vietnam right now with Agent Orange, they're finally taking responsibility that anybody in Vietnam right now gets 100% disconnected or connected service immediately. They're 100% service connected if they have a cancer of some kind, that anything that is linked to Agent Orange, if you don't know what that is, there's resources available for that. So making sure that when you go home, that you are connected to the services, that you take the time to figure out what veteran resources are available to you getting a hold of your uh, Department of Veterans Affairs. I don't care what your feelings are towards that. Stop being stubborn. Get involved in them. Look for the information. Find your advocates. Your veteran advocates are the ones that are going to give you the resources that you need. That's what Salute the Troops did with the WDVA, the Wisconsin Department of Veterans Affairs. We are very close with them. Um, We get to have conversations with the secretary you know, with the governor, because they know that we are here with our boots on the ground, literally, not whatever they're talking about. We're actually talking to to the guys coming in to the office that are absolutely broken, that are looking for resources, that have no food for their family. You know, it's complete bullshit that these guys have to go sit on the corner and sell brats or whatever you're selling in Texas or California or whatever. I know here they sell hot dogs to keep the lights on in the place so that we can all come together and have have a powwow over some hot coffee and some hot dogs. 
it's because there's camaraderie there. There's power in us. And we get that synergy together. We can make things happen. I didn't even know there was a Marine Corps League. I didn't know there was a VFW. I didn't know there was a DAV. I didn't know there was a a Navy club. I had no idea any of those existed until I needed something further down the road. And then I was like, what? How did I not know? If you don't know where your American Legion is, you're wrong. Go to them because if you need help with your service connection, they are going to do it for you. They are your biggest advocates. So don't be afraid. Put your pride aside. They're veterans just like me and you. You know, you've got to go and use those resources because if we don't, they'll go away. They'll die. They'll die with the the World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam guys that are fighting for you because they know what it's like to be forgotten. Yeah, without a doubt. And those Vietnam vet era guys, like, every time I see one, they, they went through hell for us because now we get all Absolutely. the and all that stuff. So That's right. Yeah, forget That's those right. guys at all. And uh, Kurt, I want to thank you, Kim, for being on. I know it was a, it was a yeah. great interview. You did a great job. And, and, and I think a lot of people will be able to take away a lot from this podcast because I think they heard us. I think they hear us. I think they hear yeah. But I agree with you. When I got out, when I get sold to get out, register your VFW, register your American Leagues when you get home. Make sure they know you're yeah. home. If they know your home, they'll reach out yep. to you. Just let sure, sure they know your home so they can help you if you need anything. Yeah. Can I just, uh, yeah. can I, do you mind if I give myself a shameless plug right now? I know I want you to. Take five minutes here and give yourself <laughs> a plug hear about what you got. Sure. So I recently um, am now the co-director for Salute to Troops. I'm kind of stepping down from that because I'm developing a company called Own Your Life 20. Own Your Life 20. So we specifically talk to veterans athletes, professionals, high level people, right? Have a lot of leadership skills, have no idea how to apply them. They've read all the books, they've watched all the videos. Now they come out and they have no idea what to do with them. Just like I was before. My partner and I, Fritz Berchi, he used to be a part of the NFL. He's taking all of his trainings. He worked under Tony Robbins. We've done a hell of a lot of studying on mindset and how to put a plan together to get you to that next step. So that's what we're doing now. A lot of the groundwork, like what you're doing, getting interviews and getting that edification from other people that you are doing the right thing. You are doing the right thing. There are people that are waiting to hear your story and mine and everybody else that you're going to be interviewing. So we are, we are about four months new, but we're, we're building our audience and we're looking for more people to come on board and be a part of our program. It's Own Your Life 20. You can find it on Facebook. We do lives every single day. We're building our content. We have some free content available just to get your mind rolling on what the next step is for you. How do I take control of this? And how do I become successful? Whatever that is for you. But we can teach you how to be an entrepreneur too. So that's what we're doing. That is amazing, Kevin. We'll definitely have that all on the links in the website and the podcast reel. So they'll have that information. Go check out that website and Facebook. And make sure everybody's got that information so they can reach out to you if they need your help. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you and everything you're doing for your community up there in Wisconsin. Yeah. I know it's cold, but okay. But all it right. is. It's all right. We'll be all right. Sorry. Yeah, my dad was a Navy guy. I, was, I lived all over the country growing up as a kid. And we lived in Maine my last, since his last time. And then snow up to here. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. I got you. But thank you it's so much for being It's beautiful, but on. it's hard. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Hope you all got something out of this podcast today. Please tell a battle buddy about us and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at www.veteransbereal.com. Support us because we got your back. Till next time, everyone, I'm out of here. Oh,